Good morning. Welcome to Northwest Community Church. Glad you're here. I'm Matt Rice, the teaching pastor. We're going to get started here in just a minute. So glad that you are here. I want to go ahead and I want to pray for us this morning. Um, Paul's coming into chapter 3 of Colossians, and he's encouraging us to live what we believe. Live like Christ is supreme. So let's go ahead and jump in and uh, pray together and then go right into Colossians chapter 3. Holy God, we thank you that you have gathered us here today, not by accident. We are here with a purpose. And our purpose, plain and simply, is to glorify and to bring fame to your holy name. Today, we pray that you would use Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11, to shape us to be more like you. We recognize that we are not able to see and live with the knowledge that you are supreme if we are stuck in our sin. But Lord, let us know that you are greater than our sin and that we can confess to you and you are faithful and just to forgive us our sin. So I pray that today we'd be able to see just that. Use this text to help us encounter you for your name's sake, I pray. Amen. Some of you have heard me say this before, but I am a chaplain for the Cary Fire Department. And so I have station seven and station eight. And sometimes throughout the year, they'll do what's called a promotion ceremony. A promotion ceremony means that I go down to the downtown and carry offices and they have these promotions with family and spouses and kids and so forth and so on. And sometimes I will dress the way the attire that I have to wear is I need to wear a jacket and a tie and I come in and usually I'll pray during that service and I'll support some of the firemen that have moved on from being like an, like an engineer to a master firefighter. And so I showed up at one of our promotion ceremonies and I had to do the benediction and the prayer and the opening prayer and the closing prayer and I showed up and all of the firemen on the panel that were sitting there were all dressed up in their blues, their blue uniforms with their hats and, and ties and all of that stuff. And I was in my blue blazer and a, and a tie and a blue shirt and one of the firemen came up to me and he looked at me and he was an administrator and he said, Where's your uniform? I said, uh, Cap Captain, I, I don't have one. He said, that is not going to happen. We are getting you a uniform. And I was like, are you serious? He goes, I'm getting you a uniform. Because the next time that you come up on this stage, you're going to look like one of us because you are one of us. I'm just telling you right now, I'm fired up for my fireman uniform. I can't wait to get my fireman uniform. And I'm telling you, what he looked at me and he said is, when you put on that uniform, you are one of us. And the text is screaming to us today in the last two weeks that when you put on Jesus, you look different. And in chapter three of Colossians, he is telling us that, listen, if you are going to live for the supremacy of Christ, if you are going to live like Jesus is everything, if you're going to declare that he satisfies our soul, then there are some things that you need to put off. That's today. And there are some things that we put on. That's next week. And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to camp out in chapter 3 of Colossians. And we're going to take a look at all that he wants us to set aside to put off. Towards the end of the message, I think it's going to be very important for us to recognize that there are sins that, that are in our life that prevents us from seeing the holiness and supremacy of Christ. We cannot see it because of some of the sin that so easily comes into our life. And so in order for us to deal with that, we're going to go into a time of confession. No music, no songs, just us and the Lord. I'm sort of telegraphing you where we're going right now. 
So what I want to do is I want us to really dive deep into the passage this morning. In the last 10 or 12 minutes, I want us to really sit before God in this place as a family and do business with him and calling out quietly in your seat your sin before God that you know is disrupting your relationship with him. And at the end of the day, we recognize that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, listen, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's what I want you to hear today. Because none of us have come into this building and said, I'm clean, I'm good. We all come in here with things. But we all come in here recognizing and celebrating that Jesus is supreme. There is no one like him. And that if we confess, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all that unrighteousness so that we can live and really truly believe that he is supreme, like he said he was. So jump in to Colossians chapter three. We'll get there to verse one in just a minute. In chapters one and two of Colossians, the philosophy that Paul has when he writes a letter for folks to really know who Christ is, what he's trying to do and what he often does in some of his letters is he builds a case for who he's talking about. He's building a case for this is Jesus. This is who he is. In the book of Ephesians, chapter one, he says, he lavished his love on us, for you were adopted, you were predestined to know who he is. In chapter two of Ephesians, you are dead. You're not broken, you're dead, but he made you alive. And then in Ephesians, he goes back in and he starts talking about all we have in Christ. In the book of Colossians, the outline is very similar because in chapter one and chapter two, what he's trying to do is really, really teach us that he is supreme, that there is no one like him. We learned in chapter one that we are qualified, we are delivered, we are transferred, we are redeemed. We looked at the preeminence of Christ. And all through chapter one and all through chapter two, we have this theology of who Jesus is. And then he comes in to chapter three and this is where he lays it down and says, hey, I want you to understand that the life that I want you to live, that the life you can live is only possible through me and I'm gonna give you the power to say no to some of these things that so easily wrap you up and distract you. We are living in the midst of the two gardens. We've said this several times. We have the Garden of Eden and we have the New Jerusalem and in between, it's messy, it's dirty, it's hard. And in this thing, we're trying to sit there and reconcile. How do we say, I'm keeping sin at bay and I'm keeping the, hope, the holiness that God commands in my life to be pursued? Because in 1 Peter 5, he says, be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And so that's his standard and we don't want to water or lower his standard. And so as we jump into this, we recognize that there are so many things that distract us from really seeing who he is. We looked at last week, Colossians 2.23 says, says that they, they have the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body. They are of no value to us because they do nothing to the flesh. And so here's what he says. You've got a sin problem and what I wanna do is I wanna help you graciously, graciously and supernaturally deal with the sin problem. And so again, let us make sure that we understand that we're not all clean as we come in here, yes. Let's recognize that right now as we jump into the text. The first thing that we see in this text is he gives us a command. 
He's talking to the Colossian believers and he's also talking to us. And there is a command that he gives. And the command is in verses 1 and 2. Let's look at Colossians 3 verses 1 and 2. It says, if then you have been raised with Christ, then here's what I want you to do. Seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Verse 2, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. This is not an option for a Christ follower. This is not an option for those who call themselves a disciple. We've been saying all along, we are disciples making disciples. We're a family of disciples making disciples. This seeking encompasses a searching, a striving, an investigating, and a pursuing. And it is an active endeavor, and it is a lifelong process. That's a command that he gives to us. Love one another. That's a command. You shall love one another. It's not something that just happens. It doesn't just all of a sudden, hey, you know what? I'm going to do this and then flip on a switch and it's over and I do this continually and often. It is something that we recognize, that we fight for, and we recognize that God's Holy Spirit in us allows us to live out this command to do this exactly what's saying for us to do. And that is to set our minds on above, not on the things that are on the earth. The seeking is the logical consequence of a radical change because of Jesus. This seeking the things above. How, how in the world do we start seeking those things? It is evident that the God of the universe, the supreme God that we've been talking about, who's made himself known through Jesus, it's evident of a change that he does this. So he says, set your minds on things above, not on the things on earth. I'm commanding you what Paul is saying through the power of the Holy Spirit, which is essence Jesus, God is telling us right now, I am telling you the nicest way possible, go after the things of God and do not be directed by the things of this earth that promise you everything and deliver nothing. He says, I'm sitting here, you want a job, you want the promotion, you want more money, you want your spouse to complete you and that is God's job to do that. That's what he does. None of these things that are provided by the earth can complete what God said that he does. So I want you to not go after those things. I want you to go after the things that are above. And then he goes in verse three, says, gives us sort of the why. Why do you go after the things that are above? He sort of summarizes it in verse three and four. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Verse four, when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So let's look at the why. Verse one says very clearly, go back to verse one. Verse one says that you have been raised with Christ. This is your past. This is what he did. Basically, this is past tense is what he's talking about. You were qualified. You are qualified. You are delivered. You are transferred. You are redeemed. This is what Christ did to you. When he was buried and when he rose again, listen, so did you. That's what he's declaring. That's why the way we baptize, you're buried with Christ in his death, raised to walk in newness of life because we're new. We are a new creation. He's looking at him saying, why do we seek these things above? Why do we go after them? First and foremost, look at your past. He then goes in verse two, verse three, he declares our present state. Verse three says this, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. For you have died. That is your present. Our lives are hidden with Christ. Let me make sure we understand this right now. There is a part of our spiritual life that is hidden, that is unknown to us because of who we are and who God is. It's not been fully revealed to us. 
our lives are hidden in Christ. Meaning we are in him, we are for him, we are living because of him. That's who you are. There's part of our lives that we understand and there's part of it that we don't understand. And then it goes back to the next part, verse four. Verse four says, when Christ who is your life appears, listen, listen, this is beautiful, then you also will appear with him in glory. So it's a declaration of saying, hey, your past, your present, and your future, you will appear with Christ in the future. Let me say this, every one of us can see ourselves in the next verses that he goes on to go through. Verse five is really, really important for us to see this. And so first, what does he say in one through four? He's telling us, seek these things above. You are a new creation. You are different. Don't, be satis- don't try to satisfy yourself with this because it will leave you wanting. It will promise you everything and, and, and deliver nothing. Maybe it's too early. I, will, I, I could be accused of that, but maybe it's too early to quote Kanye right now. But I'm going to anyway. Jimmy Kimmel says, so are you, would you consider yourself Kanye? a Christian artist, and Kanye, which I think is a beautiful, beautiful statement. He said, I am a Christian everything. The world has been overtaken by Kanye. Did Kanye really come to Christ? I mean, is he really? Kanye, for some of you that do not know, is a hip-hop mogul married to one of the Kardashians, and he is very popular to some people. (laughs) But recently, he came out with a statement when asked the question, are you a Christian artist are you christian musician he said i am a christian everything well i'm not gonna parse whether or not kanye has come to christ i've the album dropped this week and and all of his stuff and i i will tell you this i have not listened to it yet but i will tell you this the statement is absolutely what christ wants us to live and believe he's supreme he's superior and then we come over here and we say i'm a christian everything it's affected my entire life Every decision, every thought has been held captive by King Jesus because he's supreme and he satisfies. Then he says, okay, here's what happens. You're not going to be able to seek the things above if you don't put something off or set it aside. And here's where he comes. Here's what I need you to note right now. None of us walked into this building this morning clean. None of us. Said this before, I'm going to say it again. So as we list these sins, as we list them, what I'm asking the Holy Spirit of God, I've asked God all week long to sit there through the power of his Holy Spirit and reveal to you this thing that is weighing you down, that is preventing you from seeing and savoring Jesus in all that he is. And I trust that he's gonna do that today. I do. And so here he comes, he makes a list and here's what he says, I want you to kill these things, I want you to put them to death. So here's what he says in verse five. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Kill those things that are earthly. They do not provide us with a dynamic, dynamic relationship with King Jesus is what he's saying. Then he goes on to verse five and he makes a list. He says, so I want you to kill this, this. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. And so when we all group these sins up together and we sit there and we recognize that one of the biggest things that he's recognizing is sexual immorality because it has impurity and passion and evil desire and it's wrapped up into this concept of 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 sexual immorality if we were to sit here today and add up the three major sports and all of their revenue that they generate which we're talking about the nba 
Major League Baseball and the NFL, if we're to take their revenue for a year, we're talking about the money being in the billions of dollars and the pornographic industry is more than those three. So Paul is saying that it was a problem then and we recognize it's a problem today. And it is something that we cannot just gloss over and get over because when he lists these first sins, it comes down into recognizing the issue of sexual promiscuity and sexual immorality. I have a question for you. Sex has been created for a man and a woman, true or false? That is false. Because sex has been created for a husband and a wife, not a man and a woman. It was defined by God in Genesis chapter 3, and so anything that is outside that relationship, a heterosexual monogamous relationship between a man and a woman, is classified as sin. That includes fornication, sin outside of marriage, infidelity, homosexuality, bestiality, porn, and the list goes on. And here it is right now. He's addressing this among the Colossian believers, and it is important that you and I be reminded of that this morning too. Because it is something that ensnares us all. And something that we must be able to understand that the God of creation who revealed himself, Father, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and God's Holy Spirit can reconcile and give us, give us power to abstain in ways that we should. Verse 6, he goes on to say this. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. So he talks about these sins. He lists them out right now and says these do not fall in line with what God's plan is. They're outside of that. And I'm giving you a warning for that. And I'm also telling you that the wrath of God is waiting for you. And so he's stating here that these sins of immorality and impurity and passion are the reasons that God will judge in the future. And it is simply illogical and inconsistent with the believer's new nature to continue to do these things which bring about his wrath. It, it, it doesn't make sense. Or to put it this way, the children of light should not be doing the sinful deeds of the children of darkness. Let me make sure you understand because it is a perfect time right now to declare to you 1 John 1, 1.9 which says this, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And cleanse us from, what is it? All unrighteousness. He does that. That's our big idea for today. And that's the one thing that I want you to remember. So as we list these sins and we find ourselves and we're stuck and we're, 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 we're so easily ensnared and we're, we don't know what to think, we don't know what to do, we're so wrapped up in this, then I want you to know that there is a God in heaven who says, if you confess your sins, I'll forgive you. I can do that. And then he talks about the wrath that is coming. Now, the wrath of God, it could be seen as something that's not loving, that's not caring, that's not kind. I believe that when he says that the wrath of God is coming, is a generous warning from a generous and loving God. Some might say that the wrath is evil and it's illogical and that, that doesn't sound like the God that we serve, a loving God. No, I would believe the very opposite, that it sounds like a loving God who gives us a warning. I don't want you to do this. I want you to do this. And if you do this, I want you to know that, that you're going to pay for it. Please, please, recognize that you don't have to endure that. This past week, my wife is, this, my wife is the spirit wear director for Mills Park Middle School. Please pray for me in that. What does that mean? Mills Park Middle School has hoodies and t-shirts and she's responsible for getting all the orders together in order to give these middle school kids their t-shirts so they can go to the pep rally this coming Friday. 
And so they can go to their t-shirt, they go to put their t-shirt on or their hoodie on and they can go and do this. And so this past week, this past week, um, all the t-shirts, we had a family organizing party. We organized all the t-shirts for Mills Park Middle School. We organized them based on room numbers and all this stuff. And we loaded them into the old minivan because we live in Cary. We have a golden doodle and we have AAA. So we lifted it up into the minivan and we put it up in the minivan. And then we drove the minivan up. I drove the minivan up to the school. And I got to the school and I walked into the school and I was going to, t- I was checking Luke in because he was at an um, orthodontist appointment. I'd- so I checked Luke in. I told her that I was delivering t-shirts to the school. She said, no problem. I walked out. I went down. I got a cart. I went to, I was getting ready to go to the car. I said, mm, I got to stop at the bathroom. So I walked down the hallway. It was where the sixth graders were. I went to the bathroom. I came back and I saw this lady. She comes up. She got right up here in my face and she said, who are you? My name is Matt and I'm unloading t-shirts at the school. And she says, you don't look like you're here. You don't look like a familiar face. She says, I just want you to know something right now. It's safety first, and if I have to take you down, I will. I need you to know something. I think she could have. (laughs) I'm not trying to give up my man card, but I'm just telling you right now. She She says, listen, you didn't look familiar. You didn't have a yellow badge on. We looked at you as someone from the outside. I'm just telling you right now, if I have to, we'll have to talk. Yes, ma'am, I'm gonna go to the office and sign in, okay? I got the the wrath of the teacher right now. Here's what she's trying to tell me. Here's what she said to me. It, 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 It blew me away, blew me away. She says, I want the safety of the children are important and I will do everything I can to protect them. And I look back and I go back to my house and I'm studying and I'm looking at it here and it says, on account, these are the wrath of God. Why is he telling us about the wrath of God? Because he wants to protect his kids. That's what he wants to do. King Jesus is up there sitting there going, I'm telling you, if you're gonna play this game, I want you to know something. I'm generous and I'm loving. And the way that I'm generous and the way that I'm loving is I'm telling you that the wrath of God is coming if you're gonna keep playing this and doing this. And I want you to know that you can confess your sins and I'll I'll be faithful and just to forgive you and I'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. I will do that and I can do that. But I want you to live like what you believe and be warned at what happens if you don't. He goes on. He says, put away these sinful actions. He comes up with another list here. Verse seven, we go on here to verse seven. It says, in these you too once walked when you were living in them. So he's talking, this is past tense. You once walked this way, now you're not. I wanna make sure you're, you're aware that this is not the way you now are. But now you must put them, what does it say? All away, all away. Paul was committed to reminding them all that Christ was, and that was the motivation for them to walk in this way. In the second part of the verse, in verse eight, he gives another list that we all can find ourselves in here. Like I said from the beginning, we all can find ourselves in here. He starts the list, anger. Oh my gosh, I don't even have to go much further than that. If you are a dad, come on dads, don't leave me up here all by myself. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. When we summarize this section right here, maybe in your life group, you can go one at a time. We're not gonna do that this morning. But what we're looking at in this section right here is you summarize this, and it's talking about the danger that our mouth is to our walk with Jesus. He's talking about anger, which causes us to speak in a way and in a tone that does not honor God. And it's convicting and it's overwhelming. Slander, which is slander and gossip, 
You know, we're not just, oh, I just want you to know. Listen, there are things that we talk about other people that we should not say. There are things that we say that we think we're helping them out when really what we're doing is we're just defaming their name. And and James tells us in the book of James, it says, I want you to be quick to listen and slow to speak. There is so much danger when we do not bridle our tongues in our relationship with Christ. Because here's what happens. We confess with the same mouth that we are a follower of Jesus and that he's everything. But with the same mouth and the same tongue, we use it to defame others. What Paul is saying is, I don't want you to live that way. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, you don't have to. I'll give you the power to do just that. So why do we do this? Why do we do this? Look at the next part, verses 10 and 11. Verses 10 and 11, basically, here's what he says. You are, you are part of God's new, new, new uh, people. Look at 10. And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of his creator. Listen to me, listen to me. He's saying you put on the new self. I go back to my fireman illustration. One day I'm gonna have my uniform on because I'm one of the boys. I'm on the team right now. And he's saying, hey, listen, listen. You're gonna put this off and you're gonna put something else on because you, what? You've been forgiven. And you now are a follower of him, so act like it. Verse 11, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave free, but Christ is all and in all. That's what he wants the Colossian church to see, and that's what he wants the Northwest Community Church to see. He wants us to be living in such a way where we are declaring that he is supreme, that we use with our mouths and our lives demonstrate just that. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says that we are in Christ, we're a new creation. And so I want you to live like that. D.A. Carson, a a writer, said this in his book, For the Love of God. This is what D.A. Carson says. People do not drift towards holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate toward godliness, prayer, and obedience to scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. We drift towards compromise and call it tolerance. We drift towards a disobedience and call it freedom. We drift towards superstition and call it faith. We cherish, cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control and call it relaxation. We slouch towards prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we have escaped legalism. We slide toward godlessness and convince ourselves that we have been liberated. Nobody accidentally becomes godly. Nobody stumbles in to godliness it just doesn't happen by accident so here is here's the issue here's our problem that i believe that we have a solution for this morning and that's where we're going but it's a problem but how do we pursue godliness without falling into a checklist version of christianity oops i didn't get angry today check i was good i'm a good boy i didn't lose my cool i didn't look anything i shouldn't have looked check how do we live in a way where we pursue godliness, but not making it legalistic or a checklist. How do we do that? I believe we start through heartfelt biblical confession. We must realize that our sin is an affront and an offense to the holiness of God. And it is not good for us to be wallowing in that or unrepentant or defensive or excusing it, which goes back to our big idea. Here's what it says. Here is our big idea. I want you to hear this to me. 
no matter where you find yourself, because I want to tell you something. As I was looking in the text this morning, I found myself more than I wanted to. It's impossible to preach a message on confession when you're not coming face to face with your own sin. And I've sat there before the Lord this morning, the Lord this week, and have called him out specifically for myself. And what I'm doing here right now is I want you to see this and I want you to recognize this and all the things that we've said today, please remember this first, commit it to memory. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and will purify us from all unrighteousness. He is so good. He is so good. Don't believe the lie that our sin is greater than his grace. Don't ever believe the lie that our sin is greater than, than his grace. And I don't know how you came in here this morning. We all would say, hey, there's things that we could do better. But I would sit there and say that I want to invite you to a time of confession. We're not going to get into groups. We're not going to have any music playing. It's just you and the Lord in your seat, surrounded by your family, family of faith. So we just learned what a believer is in the Lord. We learned what a believer should set aside. Let's go to the Lord and pray to him as I guide us through this next several minutes of just confessing and coming clean to him. So if you would, just bow your heads and close your eyes. If you want to keep your Bible open, if you want to get on your knees in the aisle, if you want to come forward and get on your, you, you whatever you want to do, however you want to, to pray, I'm going to guide us through this time of confession and just give you time to do business with God and talk to him. God, I thank you for hearing us today. I thank you for allowing us to come to you in prayer, and I thank you that your forgiveness is possible only through you. And so right here, right now, Lord, I lift up right now those that are in this room involved in sexual sin that have never confessed the sexual sin to you. I want to encourage you to confess that to the Lord, and I want to encourage you that he hears you. Pray to him now. Our words can build people up and it can just as quickly tear people down. Spend some time confessing your use of words that have tore people down rather than to build them up, knowing that he hears you and can forgive you. Do that right now. Many of us in here can go zero to 60 in a very short amount of time. Anger is a problem that weighs us down. Come to God with your anger. Give it to him now. Wrath, malice, gossip, and slander. If the Lord, through the power of his Holy Spirit, has revealed that to you, that is not of him, come to him. Bring it to him now. Lying. Being a truth teller. Bring that to him now. I am well aware that there might be some people in this place at this time right now who have never placed their faith in Jesus. And I want to encourage you that if you're sitting in here today and you'd say, you know what, I'm religious. You know what, I don't know Jesus. I go to church, I have Bible verses, but I don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. And so what I'm asking you to do right now is just confess your sin before him. Understanding that he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin. That he gives eternal life. And if you're sitting in here today, you've come here today, or you've come here many times today, but you are not a follower of Jesus. You are not a disciple of Jesus. 
you've never placed your faith in him, I'm asking you right now to confess him as Lord right now. We will help you figure out the rest. But if you are not a follower of Jesus, I'm asking you right now to confess your sin to him and ask him right now in your seat to save you because he will do that. God, we have come to you today with a first step in trying to put these things into practice. We recognize that we have been talking for two weeks that you are supreme, that you are superior, that there's no one like you. We have recognized and seen what you've declared about them, is that, or declared about us, is that we're qualified, we're delivered, we are transferred, we are redeemed. We have seen that the fullness of God dwells bodily in Jesus, that Jesus is God. And Lord, now we see how you want us to live. And Lord, it's, it's convicting and overwhelming to recognize that we see all these sins. And Lord, it's, it's, it's captivating to see all these sins. And in some, some, some way, we might just see those sins and run away from you because we're, we're ashamed. God, I pray that we would not run away from you, that, that what, but that we would confess our sins before you as we have done. And we thank you for hearing us. And we thank you for the forgiveness that you have offered. And as we continue to live what we believe, may our lives be an overflow of the beauty and the grace of God that we truly can be forgiven. And so we close, and I close my prayer, and our time before we come to, to, to sing with this beautiful promise that you have given to us today is that is if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you for doing that, for being able to do that. Let us be different because of it in the way that we live, the way that we talk, and the way that we are on mission. Thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.